of glittering delights. And here, host Dandre Leyland. Just dropping on Amazon Prime, Stargirl was a delightful surprise. Initially mooted as yet another in the ever-expanding DC Comics stable of TV shows, I'll be honest, I had little to no interest in the show, largely due to its stablemates. The CWWB, whatever, streaming roster currently consists of Supergirl, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, Doom Patrol, Titans, and probably 40 or so others I'm probably unaware of, and for the most part... I get quite bored of these shows very, very quickly. Every season, I'll vow to keep up with them, and every season I make it through well, three episodes at most before the soap opera melodrama, the on-the-nose politics, or just the sheer tedium of the storytelling wears me down and I quit. Life's too short, dude. There's plenty of quality stuff out there that sticking with something you're not enjoying... Just, that's not my bag. I'm also driven, as well, by this desire, every now and again, to watch some television written and aimed at adults. So, you know, occasionally these things have to fall by the wayside. The exception tends to be Legends of Tomorrow, a show that, despite a first season that was as worthy but dull as all the others, managed to not only become self-aware enough to realise that the show was mad as a bag of cats, but actually embraced that. Whilst the other shows became mired in their own politics or obsessed with being gritty, Legends embraced its own silliness and became more enjoyable as a result. Of course, I had no reason to believe Stargirl would be as fun as Legends. I just thought it would be like all the others, so I paid it no never mind. I gave it a go purely on good word of mouth and promptly found myself binging the entire season over four days. Why? What made this show, on paper no different to any of the others, so special. Well, for one, the cast is remarkably good. For any of the other shows, I can point to a cast member I feel is useless or badly written or worse, bland. This may be due to the actor, the writing, the character, or a combination of all three. Arrow had a litany of characters I found intolerably dull, not least the lead. Stargirl has an adorable lead in Courtney Whitmore and in Breck Basinger, one of the most interesting lead actors in a show of this type since Sarah Michelle Gellar first slew her first vampire. Basinger is a star in the making, taking Courtney and making her relatable, funny and engaging. It helps that Courtney wants to be a superhero. Initially, the show eschews teenage angst in relation to its lead and instead features a character who loves being a hero, doesn't want a normal life and actively adores suiting up. Contrast this with the Peter Parker, Buffy Summers approach, or the overly dark tack taken by Arrow, and you'll see why Courtney's a breath of fresh air. It's similar in tone to the recent Shazam movie, rather than the doer miserabilism of Batman vs Superman. It may have also helped that I knew very little about Stargirl, I never read Stars and Stripe, the comic on which the series is based. I have little to no affinity for the Justice Society of America, being rather typical of that breed of World War II superhero I find rather distasteful. Nor do I have any nostalgic love for high school, a storytelling setting I completely fail to understand the appeal of. And yet... And yet... Stargirl was a delight... The opening two episodes were 53 minutes each, and if watched back-to-back, made a nice 100-minute pilot. 
Luke Wilson does his best world-weary put-upon dad performance, playing Pat Dugan, recently married to Barbara Whitmore, the lovely Amy Smart, and given a new instant family of Courtney and Pat's son, Mike, played by Trey Romano. They've all up sticks from California and moved to Blue Valley, where Barbara has a job at All American, designed to promote Blue Valley's traditional small town values, whilst Pat opens a garage to maintain and restore classic cars. In short order, we learn that Pat was once a sidekick to Starman of the Justice Society. They were all killed by the Injustice Society, and Starman's staff, which Pat still has, reacts to Courtney and imbues her with Starman's powers and that there are still questions to be answered about the Justice Society's death. Oh, and we also learn that Blue Valley is being run by the Injustice Society and Barbara's boss's former Injustice Society leader, Icicle. Oh, spoilers. Now I know what you're thinking, and you're right. Andrew, you're thinking, this is an awful lot of coincidences to just roll with. And yes, lovely listener, you are correct. It's pushing disbelief to accept that Pat, former Starman sidekick, ended up with Barbara, whose daughter just happens to be able to use Starman's staff. It's shoving disbelief off a cliff to accept that the whole town they've just happened to move to is run by the Injustice Society. Also, by pure dumb luck, Courtney is an award-winning gymnast, meaning she can do the requisite somersaults and high kicks necessary to being a superhero. But hey, what can you do? The show walks that fine line between stupidity and intelligence. It acknowledges these coincidences, which always makes me a little more agreeable to allowing them to go by. It also walks a fine line between reverential and allowing for the tastes of people unaware of the comics. Let's be brutally honest. Like the Legion of Superheroes, the Justice Society has some pretty silly names and costumes, and there's just the right amount of acknowledging the inherent silliness of the comic, while still putting these actors in costumes that are remarkably faithful to said comics. It's amazing that in less than a decade, we've gone from Arrow, which was so ashamed to be a comic book-inspired TV show that it didn't even call its lead character by his proper name, to this show which has Dr. Midnight, Wildcat, and Hourman walking around in costumes that look like they've been drawn by Alex Ross. Some obviously work better than others. Stargirl looks magnificent, really working in its translation from paper to celluloid. Dr. Midnight, by contrast, looks like a burly competent cosplay. The rest fall somewhere in between. But let's at least give the production all the credit in the world for at least trying this out. The cast is rounded out by two delightful co-stars, Yvette Monreal as Yolanda Montez, who adopts the mantle of Wildcat, and Angelica Washington as Beth Chappell, Dr. Midnight. Yolanda offers up an opportunity to tackle real issues in a teenage girl's life, perhaps issues that haven't been tackled in superhero fiction before. Yolanda was a popular kid, popular with everyone, not a mean kid who everyone else has decided is popular because she has money and a lip job. Yolanda was going out with the high school football captain, Brainwave's son, Henry King Jr., played quite woodenly at first by J. Austin Walker, who asks for a sexed picture of her, which he promptly shows to everyone in school. This bastard's trick results in killing Yolanda's chances at school president, and has her shunned and ostracised by everyone, including her own parents. It's only when Courtney says it's not that she shouldn't have shared her picture with someone she trusted and loved, but that he shouldn't have betrayed her, 
that a light comes back behind her eyes. Henry suffered no consequences for his actions, yet he's to blame for this. It's like no one ever told Yolanda this before. Some people will be complaining that this is woke, but these kinds of stories are new for this genre and has such a different takes on well-worn tropes and are actually quite refreshing. Again, it's really fortunate that Yolanda is a woman's boxing champ, making her the perfect choice for the new Wildcat, but again, whatever. Beth is simply adorable. Despite being an outcast just because she's bubbly, talkative and enthusiastic, Beth takes everything in stride, loves everybody and takes every new thing as something to be enjoyed and savoured. In many ways, she's the show's signature character. She has every reason to be a miserable, inward-looking teen girl, but she's so effervescently joyous, she actually lights up every scene she's in. Her relationship with Chuck, the AI goggle she uses as Dr Midnight, is delightful. The Buffy influence is here as well, as Beth is nothing if not an updated version of Willow Rosenberg, but she's such a joy as a character that I hope we get to see more of her, as long as the writers never lose her sense of wonder. Stargirl's team is rounded out with Rick Taylor, our man, played by Cameron Gelman. Rick was the hardest one to wrap my head around, as he is at first a typical teenage clueless rebel, with deep-rooted anger issues over the deaths of his parents. He comes through at the end, though, arguably more so than Wildcat, and his cynicism is a nice counterpoint to Beth's optimism. Special mention must also be made for Luke Wilson and the special effects involving his robot, Stripe. Wilson is great in this role. The wannabe hero who never made the big leagues, but is actually more heroic than any of them in the ways that matter, his love of his family. Despite his many great moments in the show, my favourite was his handling a relative of Courtney's, where he showed that he is a much better father than superhero. Which is the better role? I don't even think that's a serious question, is it? The show builds well over its 12 episodes, and thankfully even stuck the landing with a two-part finale that didn't disappoint. One of the advantages this series had is its limited episode count, and that the season seems to have been plotted out in advance. As such, there's none of the padding, tedium, or, yes, soap opera shenanigans of the other shows from the Warner's stable. Stargirl has been tight, with episodes varying in length from 53 to 40 minutes. Developments have occurred quickly, with everything building nicely. The special effects have been very good, not movie level, but at least they weren't as boring as the ends of both Justice League and Wonder Woman. There was the expected boss fight at the end with a big CG monster, Solomon Grundy, but as naff as the effects were in places, it came from an emotional place, so it felt earned. The big character moments, our man not killing Grundy for the deaths of his parents, shows his growth as a character over the course of the series. Compare this with the two other big deaths in this episode. Mike Dugan, a 14-year-old boy, kills Icicle, and he's played for laughs. Yes, there was irony that Icicle was killed by a young teenager after Icicle callously murdered a teenage boy earlier in the season, but this still felt ill-judged. You can argue a case that Mike didn't really know what he was doing, and again, the Injustice Society had every intention of murdering Mike, so they had it coming, but to play it as a gag seemed odd, especially in a show as a were as this one. The bigger death was at the hands of Wildcat, Unlike Mike, who may have seen it as no different to ploughing through a snowman, Wildcat purposefully and deliberately slits the throat of Brainwave. A move that I'm hoping has some repercussions down the way, as I don't know that I can really get behind a 16-year-old murderer. 
The bad guy's ultimate motivation being noble and genuinely about making a positive difference with the eradication of bigotry, racism, homophobia and the amendment of new clauses such as healthcare for all were fascinating. How many of us would sacrifice one in four people for a better world? An interesting question. Sadly, this wasn't as well explored as it could have been, as the finale quite rightly was more about the characters and their interactions, as well as the requisite spectacle of the final fight. The episode ends at the 30-minute mark, but there are 10 minutes left to go. As such, the final act is paced weirdly, with too many endings, feeling very similar to the end of Lord of the Rings or David Tennant's final episode as Doctor Who. Most of these are all just setting up next season. I'd have cut these and let the series stand truly alone as a piece. It is, however, one of creator Jeff Johns' flaws as a storyteller. He never tells a comic story that doesn't lead into the next comic story. So why should his TV be any different? Courtney Whitmore is based upon Jeff Johns' sister, who sadly passed away. Her optimism, ebullience and joy apparently informed the character. And this made Stargirl a delight to spend 12 hours with. Stargirl was a surprising triumph. It was, for me, the single most enjoyable comic book-inspired TV series since Agent Carter. It embraced the inherent madness of a comic book team-up series, from powers to motivations to costumes. It had a hero, at its heart, who wanted to be heroic, and not someone who was miserable all the time and wanted to quit. It had a true ensemble cast of great characters, mostly adeptly played by the actors. It had interesting modern themes, sexting, relationships in the social media age, stepfamilies, absent parents, as well as tried and true themes. Mankind can't be made to be better. They have to want to be better. And all of this was wrapped up in a modern sheen. Sadly, the next season moves away from the DC app into the CW, where hopefully it won't suffer a budget reduction and the addition of more tedious, soapy themes. It'd be nice to have her meet Supergirl, that may be fun, but I'd prefer Stargirl keeps her own identity. The comparisons to Buffy are apt, largely because in this case they are favourable. As long as Stargirl can maintain her sunny disposition, long may she fly. Annual Halloween party canceled. Haunted House shut down this season. Then come to the house party that no force can stop. The House of Frankenstein. The Supermates are throwing their annual bash no matter what and inviting some of your favorite horror stars. Lon Chaney Jr. Anyone who enters here without my permission will be considered a trespasser. Lionel Atwell. By heaven, I think you're a worse fiend than your father. Christopher Lee. Don't use long words, Inspector. They don't suit you. Evil and anchors. We haven't been able to contact Count Alucard so far. Peter Cushing. I've told you before there are times when you shouldn't be alone. Bela Lugosi. He's mine. He don't belong to you. You go away. Barbara Shelley. There have been seven murders committed in the forest of Bandorf in the past five years. Basil Rathbone. But of course I know who did. Haven't you heard? The monster. <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland. Maggots, Michael. You're eating maggots, how do they taste? And Boris Karloff. <laughs> Plus a few party crashers. Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No, it's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. And some amazing friends. Dragon Worst thing! Let them take care of your friends, my dear. <laughs> I'll take the robot, you take the wolf thing. Good. 
I've always had a way with animals. So RSVP to fireandwaterpodcast.com, iTunes, or Spotify, and don't miss the one Halloween party you can count on to be scary in a good way. Not the 2020 way. The House of Frankenstein. Okay, it's good to be back. I had all the summer off. I did a couple of weeks where I did absolutely nothing with regards to podcasting. I pootled around the country with my family looking at castles as part of the National Trust. There's a lot of castles here. And it's always nice and go to them, to be fair. Uh, But now I'm back. And I hope you enjoyed this. I enjoyed it. It It's nice to be back in the saddle. Uh, My first email tonight is from Ryan Daly. Hello, Ryan. It's always nice to hear from uh, a fellow Batman podcaster. Hello, Andy. I won't ask you to do a daily Spider-Man podcast from now on because I know how taxing that could be. Well, thank you very much. But you really ought to know that this is what all of your listeners will want from now until the end of time. You sharing your thoughts about Spidey every single day. But that hardly seems realistic. So we'll have to accept your occasional Spider-centric shows graciously whenever we can get them. Well, thank you. Yes, see, the thing is, I'm very fickle. And if I were to do a show that was focused solely on one thing, I would get bored of it. I like to dance around a lot, and this gives me that outlet to do that. But never fear, there is always more Spider-Man on the way. I am currently prepping the Roger Stern run, uh, starting with his run on Spectacular. So that should be fun. All of this is to say, continues Ryan, you did a terrific job covering Denny and Neil's run on The Amazing Spider-Man. Thank you very much. I've never read these stories before and had no idea that Anil created both Hydro-Man and Madam Web. From your analysis, it sounds like the good issues were really good and the not-so-good ones were still not bad and even fun in their own silly way. Poor Deb Whitman, though. Yikes. Yeah, poor Deb Whitman. I think the thing with Denny was he didn't really do anything with Deborah Whitman. He just played the same beats over and over again. It will take Bill Mantlo to do something with Deb Whitman. Whether or not that finds favour obviously depends on whether you think that it's perfectly acceptable that Spider-Man thinks a a young woman is having a mental breakdown. (laughs) Uh, I'm not laughing because of that. I'm just laughing at the inherent stupidity of the idea. But Mantle only did that because he wanted Black Cat to be brought on as, as Peter's love interest. Keep up the great work. As always, I look forward to more of your dissections of the wall crawler. Ryan. Well, thank you, Ryan. Ryan Holtz, Batman Nightcast, which uh, Michael Bailey and I recently had the pleasure of being on. Uh, go and check it out. It's a great show. I love it. Him and Chris Franklin. Got all the time in the world for those two guys. Uh, Chuck is our next email from Brian in Rockland, NY. And it, Brian. Thank you for your Chuck episode. You are very welcome, Brian. I'm glad you enjoyed it. For reasons I cannot explain, I never watched the show whilst it was on. I'm watching now because of your podcast and the show is terrific. Thanks for that. I'm through season two already. Well, I'm glad that I could introduce you to a show that you haven't seen before and that you're enjoying it, which does beg an interesting question, if I may divert ever so slightly. Um, This show, this one I'm just recording, or that you're just listening to, depending on your point of view, is about Stargirl. And the Chuck episode was also, likewise, an overview of the show. And when I do shows like that, inherently, they're going to contain spoilers, because I'm not dancing around shit that I want to talk about. When I'm just doing a show like the one about Danger Man, and I'm only picking one or two episodes to talk about, that doesn't spoil the entire show, but they're from different eras anyway. It's very difficult to spoil Danger Man. Every episode was a self-contained drama. Um, with no continuing subplot. Now, 
there is always a lot of discussion about spoilers and, and so on. I recently saw someone complain to the Empire Movie Magazine that the review of Tenet spoiled that the second half was better than the first half. And I'm just watching it with a slack jaw. How is that a spoiler to say that the, the reviewer thought the second half of the film is better than the first half of the film? He actually said, you shouldn't have said that so that we as the audience could have experienced that ourselves. And I'm just like, oh, for fuck's sake. But it does beg an interesting question. Nobody has ever complained to me about spoilers. Because you're all smart. I have cultivated quite a smart listening audience. And you know if I'm talking about an entirety of a show, then I'm probably going to discuss things that would be considered spoilers. And I like to think you've got the intelligence to go, all right, well, he's going to discuss, say, Stargirl this week. He's probably going to discuss the series as a whole. I'll put that on the back burner until I've watched the show. So it begs the question, Brian, did you, listening to that Chuck episode, where I essentially go in-depth on all five seasons, has that spoiled the show for you? Or are you perhaps of the 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 inclination that some people are that knowing how stuff turns out actually makes you enjoy it more? It's an interesting question. I mean, I'm probably not going to change how I do the show, but it's interesting to to see. Do you think that when I do an overview of an entire series, it spoils the show, or does it does it tease you enough to go, oh, I'll watch that. Regarding your recent Spider-Man coverage, continues Brian, Spidey has been my favourite superhero since childhood. I completely identified as a nerdy kid from Queens. I have regrets with how he's treated in the MCU. They are not going to give us the street-level hero we got in the Raimi films. To me, that is the essence of Spider-Man. What do you think? The MCU, for me, is just a completely different iteration of the character. It's no different to me than the Nicholas Hammond TV show not being young enough. Or Tobey Maguire clearly looking 30 years of age playing a teenager. And even the, the, the sainted Raimi movies, they don't really capture the, the feel of the Lee Dick or Lee Ramita stuff. You know, they don't have Gwen in, they don't have the love triangle, Flash just disappears. There's not a lot of focus on Peter as there is a much as a focus on Harry Osborne. And all that seems just, just a little bit weird. To me, I enjoy those films, even the third one. But for me, the closest they have ever got to putting that Spider-Man, the comic Spider-Man on screen, is the cartoon show Spectacular Spider-Man. I, I, and I still haven't seen the second season. But I, to me, that's the closest they have ever come to putting a Spider-Man comic on screen. None of the films have really got it right. It's like the Raimi movies got the look and the vibe of the comics right, but screwed up the casting. The Mark Webb movies got the casting okay. You know, Emma Stone is a brilliant Gwen Stacy. Andrew Garfield certainly seems fun as a more modern Peter Parker, but then screwed everything else up, particularly in the sequel. And then the Marvel C, Marvel, Marvel C, the, the MCU have got the casting spot on with Tom Holland, but have kind of made him into a, an idolizer of Iron Man, which, you know, in lieu of giving us the connection with Uncle Ben. And I kind of get, you know, giving him a father figure and then taking him away is part of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. And they did it in such a way that they're not just retelling Uncle Ben's origin because everyone was telling him, we don't need to see that again, meh. Because, you know, fans are whining. So it's it's just a separate thing. And we're never going to get the Spider-Man of the comp. We're never going to get my seven-season TV show pitch 
of Spider-Man Beverly Hills 90210 meets Law and Order. You know, we're never going to get that. We're never going to get a soap opera crime drama like like Lee and Ditko and Lee and Ramita did. So it's just, you know, and it just becomes whether you can enjoy it on the level that they're presenting it to you or not. And if you can't, just don't watch it. You know, go and do, and do something that you enjoy more is always my advice. Uh, Brian continues, Chuck is a lot like Peter. Both are nerds who consistently attract as love interest, beautiful women who should be out of their league. Yeah, yeah. Ivan Strahovski. <sighs> Kristen Crook. Uh, Jordana Brewster. And you're like, Jesus, Chuck. Stay safe and thanks for the podcast, Brian Rockland NY. Well, you too, Brian. Hope everything's okay. Hope everything's okay with all of you lovely listeners. The break was nice. Recharge your batteries. But there was episodes of Batman... Um, I don't do Nightcast, do I? We do do the Overlooked Dark Knight. Ryan and Chris do Nightcast. There was episodes of the Overlooked Dark Knight out there for you to enjoy while I was on my sabbatical. As ever, oh, nice coffee. If you want to drop me an email, heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. Uh, you want to get in touch, hit me up on Facebook or Twitter. I think I'm on Instagram, but I don't check it very much. And Twitter's a shitstorm most of the time. But I do pop by occasionally. So um, get in touch with me those ways. Next time's a couple of things on the burner. But we'll see what bubbles to the top. As ever. Take care. It's all going to be okay. And I'll see you all real soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.